to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So this week on the podcast, we have Laura Kokarinen. 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 I've gone it, but no surprise I was going to respond. So welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Um, we'd like to start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, we've mispronounced your name on the podcast it's a few right. episodes. So tell let's tell people a little bit about you. First of all, uh, who are you? What do you do? Well, my name is Laura Kokkarina. That's how I pronounce it. And I work as a software developer at Sulava in Finland. And I focus on software development around Office 365 and Azure. And um, I have quite a long background with SharePoint on-prem. I don't know if it's long considering that there are other people who have been around for a lot longer than I have, but basically I started working with SharePoint on 2011 and a couple of years ago I moved to the cloud and I'm purely focusing on Office 365 Azure now. And um, yeah, that's about it, I guess. I have a blog where I try to teach other Office 365 developers about these things that I've learned and I've recently started speaking at this conference as well. And you recently became a Microsoft MVP, correct? Yes, in yes, general. Yes. And so what type of community activities do you typically engage in that caught the attention of the MVP program? <laughs> well, the blog is probably... Yeah, probably the yeah. big one. Yeah. yeah. And um, through that, I also started to get the conference gigs. So I was um, one of the presenters at the Global Office 3 Star Developer Bootcamp in Helsinki. And then I was presenting two sessions about Microsoft Craft in the ESBC in November in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And um, then I did one smaller uh, conference in Helsinki, and now this. And what are you speaking on this week at the SharePoint conference? Mm, about Microsoft Craft with Microsoft Teams. So what kind of operations there are in Microsoft Craft for managing teams. and Makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teams provisioning, automated teams provisioning is really hot stuff among yeah. customers. Everyone wants that. So That's cool. That's good to hear. Yeah. And are you from the, that area? Like, Helsinki is where you're born and stuff? Or? No, I live further up north in a city called Kuopio. Okay. Try to pronounce that. No, yeah, that's right. I'm like, <laughs> these names. Um, I quite frequently fly to Helsinki. The train takes about five hours, but it's oh, a wow. one-hour flight. So and you want to have some good. homework to look at the map and work out what the, I had mm. an, an inkling of where it is. But Yeah, there's tons of lakes that surround the city and the, lots of forests. I think something like 70% of the area is covered in forests. So wow. lo- lo- lots of nature. I like to live there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and so you, uh, you mentioned you're a software developer, but you have a lot of clients in these areas. So is it more like a consulting engagement where you're helping customers, or is it a software development uh, company? Um, consulting company, okay. definitely. Okay. We don't do any product development. We just um, develop for our customers based on their needs. Okay. And the so what came to our attention, and I know you had a blog post on SharePoint site designs, mm-hmm. which was interesting, and another one on authentication, which is my favorite topic, right? Okay. So it sounds like you have a varied uh, background of things. Is, is there cer- certain types of areas of the technology that uh, excite you most or interest you, or you find, you know? Well, considering that there's, even though we have close to 100 employees in the company. Most of them are consultants who don't do development. So there's only about 10 of us devs and our customers have varying needs. So I sort of need to do different kinds of things, whatever our customers want. But of course, I always want to 
the work I do to be somehow related to Office 365, so I won't get stuck to some really long pure Azure projects that have nothing to do with Office 365. So um, what am I most interested in? Well, provisioning is probably my thing within the company. I seem to know the most about that. Um, but more recently, I felt like I want to do more uh, SPFX stuff and learn React and things like that because I don't know React yet. So that's something I definitely want to learn in the near future. And um, authentication was very interesting and challenging to learn back in the day. When I started working with the cloud, I hadn't done authentication before that. Um, what else? <laughs> it's like the, the, the rollers from hell. <laughs> I, I'm, you can't see this if you're listening, but I'm wearing a headset just monitoring the audio levels, and it's like, yeah, that's going to sound awful. It's all oh, good. Sorry, I hope <laughs> no, 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 uh, you can fine. still hear me through yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So, how did you get into it? What, what, what was your background? Did you study this at school? And yeah, I have a master's degree in computer science. Oh, wow. So. Awesome. Um, I needed to do this six-month um, internship period for my master's degree, and three months of that I did it in England um, in one small company, did dotnet programming there, and mm -hmm. then the next summer uh, I did an internship for this Finnish company that introduced me to SharePoint, and I remember doing um, a lot of index workflows and infopath forms during my summer yeah. there, and <laughs> apparently I did a good job because they wanted to hire me as a full-time employee. That's that, awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I started. It always seems to be how most people get started in SharePoint. The company has a need Accident. and they right. throw the new person in and get, get up to speed yeah. on it and up to speed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the um, so you said you, you want to get started in the SharePoint framework development. Is, is, have you done web development much at all in the past? Mm, or is this oh, I have done I have done SharePoint framework development as well, but okay. just in pure JavaScript. I haven't done React because uh, all the components I've done so far have been so small and I've been in a bit busy schedule, so I haven't had time to learn that because apparently it can be quite complex to learn at first. Mm -hmm. But now I've actually reserved time for it because next month I have a project coming up with a fairly complex SharePoint framework solution, so I really should be using React for that. Mm -hmm. So this is like perfect opportunity to learn that because I feel like I learn things a lot better when I have a real like use something case. to actually build. Yeah. yeah. Instead yeah. of just learning something for the sake of learning it. What kind of approaches do you would you take for like learning React? Like where would you go for um, actually, uh, you know Elias Truth? Yeah. Uh, he pointed me to one website with a lot of cool materials. Well, I haven't dug deep into it yet, but I have the link. I will take a look. <laughs> when you get time, you're going to do it. Yeah. yeah the, um, I just have to cut this because I had a question and it just vanished. Oh, so um, <laughs> <laughs> the the one benefit you have, I guess, coming to SPFX and a little bit later in the game is the new toolkit things that were demonstrated in Jeremy's session earlier this week. Have you seen the look at the the toolkit? What's it called? Microsoft Graph? The Graph Toolkit. Graph Toolkit. So there might be some shortcuts you can take there. Uh, what what are these things that you are now to build? So the, yeah, so yeah. The, the toolkit is a series of web components which yeah. can be used with React or Angular or and they automatically connect to Graph. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. it binds straight to a calendar agenda or a task list yeah. or people cars and things. So that's very cool. It's kind of nice because it allows you to quickly build UI that looks like ours, but in your own application. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, I'll be interested in your feedback on those when you okay. start poking around. Thanks, I'll let you know. <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be blog posts where you'll be like, "This is." <laughs> <laughs> 
sure if I discover anything interesting. I learn a lot from your blog oh, in terms of where our gaps are, so it's awesome. Oh, to... Makes me very glad. Yeah. 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 So, what motivates you to write that that type of blog post? Because sometimes you see blogs that's just you know, high level or short, but you, you've had mm. some comprehensive step by step ones that are really helpful to folks. And where's that? Why, why do you do those kinds of blog posts? Well, I just find some things interesting and thought that some other people might be interested in this stuff too, and then mm-hmm. I want to share it. Yeah, sharing right. is caring. <laughs> so you've met other people at the PMP group, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or their quotes. Yeah. yeah. And so you, are you, you're part of the PMP group now, right? Yeah, I don't think it has been officially announced, but I was recruited. It, yeah. You, it has been officially announced here on the podcast. Has so. it? Well, we'll be once. <laughs> we'll be now. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Damn, you tricked me. <laughs> so what were, you, what were your responses, responsibilities be on the team? Uh, I don't have a product of my own, sort yeah. of. So I'm helping around. At first, I helped with some pull requests with the PNP uh, PowerShell, but now I'm more focused on the provisioning engine. And I, for instance, uh, I'm not sure if you already knew, but the provisioning engine will also handle Teams provisioning, mm-hmm. which I've been doing a lot former customers separately, not using the PMP naturally because it hasn't been there until now. So I did the creating teams based on a JSON template for the provisioning engine and Paolo did um, Teamify based on the XML markup that the user can fill in. And um, I promised to do the cloning also for the engine after this whole conference session is over. So um, yeah, there will be three different options to provision teams through the PMP provisioning and, engine. And what kind of things your customers do they do? They're you going to use those? They build the JSON templates, or are there like how are they triggering provisions to actually happen in the scenarios you work with on your customers? Uh, very typically, there is some kind of an order list where the user fills in information regarding what kind of a team they want to create, what's the team called, what's the purpose, uh, especially if there is a approval process. Mm-hmm. So they sort of need to tell the approvers what is this team used for. Then there is do they want to create a public or a private team? And um, then if they want to use a team template, there could be a selection select the template yeah select the template that you want to use that could be um, if you want to use the clone operation then there would be a real team in the team's client that the customer can configure or then if you want to have a more controlled process then you could use the JSON template because in that case you can always ensure that the rest of the provisioning pipe pipeline is aligned with the template and and so those business scenarios is more like I just need a team it's not because some of the ones we do in demos at build is more like contours of outlines where it's like a we're stamping one out for flights daily as flights come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, do you see other scenarios coming through from customers where it's not just like, I need a new team and it's this template, but it's like more aligned to a business process internally? Mm. No, we've had some integrations with Project Online. Mm-hmm. So when they create a project in Project Online, that information gets saved to a SharePoint list and that uh, triggers a process and it provisions a whole team site with different kinds of lists so there's like that mapping. and a team and possibly also a planner. Yeah. Because it was a fairly new feature that you can actually uh, copy a plan now through the UI. Mm-hmm. It wasn't there before. And if you wanted to do that, you might have had like a really extensive planner plan. And if you wanted to copy that, then you would need to do that through graph. And it right, was right. actually very complex to implement. Because, Which you've logged about. <laughs> yeah, yes. especially to get the tasks to appear in the right order mm-hmm. because the order it's calculated by the server you can't sort of set it yourself so yeah. you always need to get the order hint back after you have updated the server because it doesn't reply to you with the calculated order hints and <laughs> it's just a mess I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I particularly found that blog post helpful because one of the, the part of our product we were stamping out 
planner plans and mm. how to get the order straight for, uh, certainly was and and Wes my boss just said here go read this and it yeah. was your blog post on how to set the order in so I'll, thank you very much it saved me a lot of time there yeah that's where it definitely comes into it and then to kind of cover the bases the, the task team which we've talked about on the podcast last week I believe was that there's still strategic work going on between Microsoft to do and planner and outlook tasks mm. and it's almost under the same organizational yeah. area now in Microsoft and so there's plans to consolidate to be one API. Mm. Um, and as part of that consolidation, some of those things will actually be addressed. Excellent. Um, so there's a list, mm. um, and your blog post is on that list. <laughs> this, this is one yes. of the things we have to fix. Well, when we that's very fl- flattering. Yeah, when we redo the consolidation, that's going to be okay. accredited for. But It would be really great if the Planner API and Graph had that clone operation by default, so you wouldn't need to build that functionality yourself. Yeah, but you wouldn't have to build the login. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the times, like and in my talk yesterday, we talked about the graph. Just It's not just about data, mm. it's services as well. And so those common things that we, we get from customers, like in that instance, as a service, right, you're saying, mm. I'm going to call this operation. It's not a CRUD. It's not creating something, updating or deleting mm. it. Like you're copying something to somewhere mm. else. And when it's available in the UI, how are you doing that in the background? Yeah, that's right. There's yeah. logic wrap there. In yeah. the so can't there you expose yes. that same logic yeah, so to There's a few instances that Planner kind of has their own little black magic that happens in the background. So I've run across that same kind of yeah. issues as well. And, and it's funny because with all the modern web stuff, sometimes you can still go in and go see how they're doing it because it's in the client side. Other times they're calling their own API and then mm. the API is calling the graph. Mm. And so we, we, we know we're trying to take those things and making them available mm. so that you don't have to write that logic and it yeah. just works. <laughs> because it's a big chunk of code. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's like the things we're learning from different workloads that um, maybe aren't as engaged right now because their strategy is more focused on mm. the product itself than not yeah. the APIs. But yeah, it's going to be exciting when we finally get to talk about those things that have them ship for sure. Very nice. Yeah. And in the, so talk about Teams provisioning, which is a, a bit I've worked on as well. You mentioned how there's templates. Is there, there plans either with PNP or stuff you've done before for for users to create their own template or are you referring to the, the built-in ones of like EDU templates uh, or standard or? <clears throat> you basically just, there's a spot for you to insert the JSON markup for the um, Teams template like, like you would in a regular uh, craft call. You okay. can put it in the body. So basically mm-hmm. you put that into the PNP provisioning template, the XML template, there's a spot for it. So at the same time as it cre- creates the sites, etc., then it can also provision a team while at it. So at the same time. Okay, so if I'm going to leverage the PNP provisioning, I, I, I build this JSON document following the documentation from Teams and then put it into the PNP and it'll yeah. use that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or then you can specify all your settings separately in the PNP XML template. So in that case, it creates a group first and then applies uh, applies the team to that group and sets the um, different configurations separately okay. to that. Is that at all related to the provisioning service that we saw in the keynote? Or are you aware of, is there anything I there? think I didn't actually attend to the dev keynote. Okay. Because I feel like <laughs> I'm dun, well dun. on track of <laughs> the stuff, so okay. there probably wouldn't be that much new stuff for me. So I went to do other things. Um, are you familiar with the, the provisioning service? Yeah. Is, so is the, the work that you're considering with the, the team's provisioning, will it be tied into that same uh, service? I think it's actually a separate service. So at this point, okay. Mm. All right, so it'll be interesting. What is but that? I, I'm not sure if it actually leverages the provisioning engine in the background. But okay. it was actually, I heard that Vesa uh, pushed a button on stage to make the whole new provisioning service open source so people can contribute to that as well these days. Okay. 
point. Yeah, so as that matures, I think it would be great. We'll follow up and, and see, because sure, as you've seen, provisioning is always a, a large request or mm. popular request from many different organizations. Mm, yeah. So and it's great to see that work. Everyone wants to do it differently. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you can really put into yeah, the, in the product. Box. Yeah. 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 Well, which is, I think, natural for P&P because the audience for P&P is a developer, right? So yeah. it's not like this is a, a turnkey solution for right. anyone to provision any kind of team anywhere. There mm-hmm. needs to be a little bit of investigation around. So this is a nice balance, I think, between mm-hmm. the end users can push a button, but yet there's a developer who can help provide what the organization yeah. needs to yeah. meet their needs. It's, it's pretty helpful. And how have you balanced um, the fact that we're teams provisioning, obviously, Teams is on a journey, and I work with Nick Kramer on a daily basis and more so at Build because we were doing a session together. Mm. But with the fact of having beta and the V1 APIs, like with your customers, um, uh, are you often guiding them on like where they should be, can use beta or V1? Like I'm always interested to see what's the reality. Like we'll say it's unsupported, but we do know that there's customers out there that will will use it regardless Mm. because of the... Well, I naturally don't tell my customers to use either one of those because I'm the one who's implementing the functionalities and sort of I am choosing what to use. But whenever, um, if I need an operation that is only available in the beta endpoint, I need to have this conversation with my customer that this is not officially supported by Microsoft, but typically these operations are quite stable. And is this functionality valuable to you, so valuable that you don't want to wait for this operation to be brought to the version 1.0 endpoint or... um, so basically asking, are they, are they willing to take the risk, the small mm-hmm. risk that one day it doesn't work? And usually they are. And then we just use the beta endpoint at those spots. And if it breaks down, then we fix it. So you, you're more like it's reactive that if it did change, mm. you would go yeah. make the changes to the code and just yeah. deploy that new because change. Because they want to use it now and yeah. not wait for several months for it to yeah, become. Yeah, that makes sense. I know there's, you know, like we've talked to Wes and you guys before around they'll actually have like alerts on certain things that if they did change that mm. they would then look and see whether there's, you know, what if they need to do any work and then go push out some changes mm. that way. But um, we, we are trying to get better. We're going to have a change log, um, which again, it's once it's in the service, it will go through. Mm. But we're trying to work out how we can have the change log like be like, this is coming in a matter of weeks just so that people are aware that yeah. this schema change is going to happen. But I think the problem we have is is that some of the schema changes we do, like the reason that we haven't put it live is because we're still waiting for approval. And yeah. the minute it green lights is the minute we go and deploy it. And so we're, we're toying with the, you know, do we give a few weeks notice on those kind of things in a blog post, for instance, that says, hey, this is coming and we're going to wait four weeks before we push the button so that people at least have the ability to yeah. react if it's going to be a breaking change. Yeah. Of maybe we've decided to change the schema of what comes back when mm. you call an operation so that, you know, technically it's going to break you because you'll get null exceptions because mm. the parameter names have changed. Um, and so that's something we're kind of toying with a minute on how we, how we handle that. Yeah. It would need to be announced in a place where as many developers as possible see it. Correct. Yeah. Or we consider an RSS feed that you could subscribe mm. to and just yeah. have it. I mean, do you use RSS for other things? I try, but I usually forget. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll go back to email. We'll send emails to everyone. Yeah. RSS works just great for me. So, <laughs> but then again, with you being on the podcast, you can just remember and tell everybody, all our listeners. Yeah, that's you know, true. Be the town crier for the graph. Oh, then you can try to use several channels: a blog, Twitter. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Although I, I, my initial take on that is, I, I'd hate for, I'd hate for it to be things can't push 
because you have to coordinate all these different changes. There's a yeah, fine line, I think, between that. Like a deprecation yeah. notice is one thing where it's going to go away, but mm -hmm. if it, changing a functionality if can be If there's a breaking change. Yeah, like yeah. I wouldn't want to hold something up just for the sake of giving a window on a non-breaking <laughs> change. But if we know there's a breaking change coming, and there's a few coming, um, we're just trying to work out the right way to communicate it that's useful to a developer. Because, um, you know, it, there's nothing worse than finding out from your customer that your code's broken because yeah, of something under the covers. But when you're using the beta endpoint, you are already accepting the risk that it's there true. can be a breaking change. And if you have spoken with the customer, like you should have, yeah. then they have also accepted the fact yeah, that there true. might be a breaking change. So yeah. you are actually not required to announce that. Of course, it would be nice, but... Yeah. And to be fair, like the, it's not like every day we're making huge changes. Yeah. To, and like, it's not every service, right? No. The Teams is, I think, the exception because they're somewhat new to the service as well. So yeah. they're, they're as they're maturing their product, it's kind of be expected. So. Yeah. And you know, there can be breaking changes even though <laughs> you haven't announced well, them. It's yeah, stuff breaks, right? Yeah. 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 So as, as we move forward, now you've talked about how you want to get more, you have a project coming in with the SharePoint framework. What, what kind of things are, are you excited to look into or research about or components that have been announced recently that you're excited to to dig into and, and look at? Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm, I'm planning to learn React, and that's um, mostly because I want to use those. Oh, the thing is coming again. <laughs> this is a okay. running joke here. So every time we do these at conferences, there's always a man with a trolley as soon as I click the record button. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, yeah, I want to learn React basically because I want to use the Office UI Fabric React controls to make the... SPFX web part that I'm building look really nice. And also I was in a session with the Office UI Fabric and Fluent mm -hmm. controls, so it would be very interesting to um, try out the Fluent controls as well, but I'm not actually sure what the React version of the SPFX web part is, if it's actually supported. It would be nice if it was, <laughs> but um, we'll see. And what do you see the value in that as a developer with like building the products that you're building? The value. The value of like, why would you use those or not rolling your own particular things? Because of the look and feel. Yeah. Is it, it primarily just because you want it to make look exactly the same? Yeah, because it's in SharePoint, and I think a customer would just feel more comfortable when everything looks familiar. Mm hmm. And it looks nice. It saves you work. I, I like pretty things. <laughs> the, the, the one surprising thing, and just as a tip I can give you, when I started looking at the React controls, I didn't think of it initially, but there's a whole section of, the, of controls or, or utilities they have around selected items and and virtual lists, stuff that you, mm -hmm. you think about a control, how a date picker or something, but there yeah. are there is a lot more to the, the Fabric React tool set, if you will, that, yeah. that uh, provides great stuff. So I, think, yeah. I hope you find that, that helpful. Yeah. There was this huge list of Office UI Fabric React controls, and I browsed through all of them. There's just so much stuff. <laughs> They've changed their documentation now, so that you can actually yeah. see them running. Yeah, and there's a whole new website that looks yeah. less. It looks less docs.microsoft.com. It's more of a hipster. Yeah, it's more brandy <laughs> designing. <laughs> yeah. I think Peter yeah. had to jump through some hoops to get permission yeah, to do that. that. A, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, can't really wait for that project to start. I've already um, planned it out and what, drawn the UIs. What what's going to look like what and plan the architecture. So now it's just about the customer reading the document and then I can start doing <laughs> going. stuff. Yeah. For, the, for the audio, she's sitting here like rubbing her hands together <laughs> like she's plotting world domination. Yes. <laughs> um, world. And, and so I'm assuming the way you would class yourself as a full stack developer, like it seems like you, mm. you're kind of across the whole. Yeah, and also software architecture stuff because yeah. there's no one 
planning that stuff for me. So mm-hmm. I need to handle that as well and also plan the UIs and everything. It's quite often I do one-man projects, so I do everything. Yeah. Customer communication, solution architect stuff, you know. And so with that, like how, with the Azure, there's obviously going to be an Azure component mm, in a yeah. fair amount of this. How do you keep up with that? Because that's its own challenge as well. Well, I need to learn stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was actually uh, looking into uh, what would be the best way to read and write data to an on-premises database because that's mm-hmm. one component in this solution that I will be building. So I was looking into these different options. Should I have a point-to-site VPN or should I sync data? No. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and eventually I um, ended up with the hybrid connection choice. So there's going to be a hybrid connector that I will use from, I will first call uh, an API in Azure from my SPFX web part and from there uh, through the hybrid connection to the on-premises database. Well, I think that, and that's generally a good choice for most scenarios because if you think as an organization is moving to the cloud, for example, they're doing mail in the cloud or Office 365 and this data is on-prem, is it going to be there forever? The fact yeah. that you're making your initial call to Azure to get that brokered connection, if mm-hmm. it, the data moves to the cloud, you're, you're in a good yes. spot. To yeah. just you know yeah. turn it, off the it's just that the databases the are also used by other systems, yeah. so that's why it can't at the moment be moved. Yeah, well, those are that's the struggle that enterprise yeah. developers have these days. Mm. But it sounds like you're on the right track, so that's great. So where can people find you? I know that uh, well, you mentioned us earlier. You'll be doing the, the conference in uh, Wiesbaden. Yeah, next What will you be talking about there? Uh, such science. Site designs, okay. Yeah. Yes. I have that huge blog post. It was really easy to <laughs> put up a deck. You can that. just scroll through it and yeah. read the blog but post out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what is your, what's your blog URL, Twitter? Um, my name, Laura Kokkarinen. That's probably really You're gonna easy have to, to spell it. that. Uh, it's L-A-U-R-A-K-O-K-K-I-R-A-R-I-N-E-N. Sorry. <laughs> I feel less bad about mispronouncing because you said you pronounce it like it's spelled, but if you have well, trouble yeah, spelling it. Le- to be fair, are you're different. translating. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Our letters are different in yeah. So uh, K-O-K-K-A-R-I-N-E-N. Yeah. Well, we will certainly include that in yeah, the links yeah, on the site. <laughs> right. And are you on social media? Uh, that was my tw- Twitter handle, yeah. Okay. And also, laurakokkaren.com is where my blog is. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're just, just as stuff. easy as how, how is you? How do you mo- motivate yourself with the blogs? Is it just purely if like a big problem comes along, you just feel like okay, that's the right time to do it, or do you have a plan of uh, here's what I'm going to write about in the next few months? Well, I want to be consistent, so yeah. I have a goal to blog at least once a month. Yeah. Because I know that if I don't do that, then it just drops for a very long time, mm-hmm. and also I want to maintain my writing skills. Mm-hmm and get better at that and faster at blogging and hopefully at one point I can consistently blog twice a month maybe after that three times a month maybe after that four times a month but um, yeah I feel like I'm still fairly new to blogging because I've just been doing that for one and a half years or so. Well I really like your style I find it very easy to read. Thanks. Because I think some people they, they're too verbose mm. whereas I think yours is the right level of like yeah. screenshots and code and mm. just enough to kind of follow it without going Mm. to a, almost like writing a book in a blog post. Mm. Yeah, I would like to write a book at some point, but you know, on our field, the information gets old really fast. Right. So. It becomes a, mm. a, a monitor stand very yeah. quickly. Yeah. 
And the other thing about your blog that I, I found is it, it timely, right? Because the site designs came out and shortly afterwards, you, I mean, the documentation is there, but having yet another person describe how you did site designs, can sometimes it can trigger, oh, I think about it a different way. And, and so um, yeah. it's great to see yes. the timely topics as well. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to more. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk in a year we're like, so you up to four a month yet? Or? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm in a very um, good position that uh, at Zulava we always try to use the latest technology and be one of the first people to use the new stuff. Yeah. So I get to try out all the new features. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Play with the new toys. Yeah. That's excellent. Cool. Well, look, thank you very much for your time today and thank congrats you. on the PMP stuff. And Cheers. Thank you for doing what you're doing and representing the graph around the world. Is you're welcome. Makes me very happy. So thank you. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 